Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen here, Murph here, Ken's here. Hey, Owen, Hello, Owen. And for today that's in it, why not invite in a celebrity Chelsea fan? Not only a celebrity Chelsea fan, a Chelsea fan so passionate about his club, Ken, that he once got dropped from the Kerry team because he went to Munich to watch them win the Champions League <laughs> against the wishes of his manager. David Baddiel? <laughs> it's Kieran Donny. Oh, right. Jack, I'm uh, going to the Champions League final. What? No, wait, what? No. Yeah, no, it's booked. I'm, I'm going. No, you're not going. Yes, I am going. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And so on and so forth. Uh, Donny went, got yeah. dropped, came on at halftime. Yeah, well, sorry, came on during the game against Tip. I'm not sure whether it was halftime or not. And obviously uh, a wit, Murph, a Kerry wit in the crowd as O'Connor has his arm around Drogba. Uh, around, completely ruined it. <laughs> around Donaghy. He's got his arm around him, about to send him on. All you hear from a uh, fellow in the crowd is, go on, Drogba. <laughs> Good God. Oh, yeah. It was his only issue with uh, Jack O'Connor, actually. You know, O'Connor was a manager who had converted Donny into a full forward in 2006 and essentially launched his career. Uh, but in his second spell in charge, two of them didn't always see eye to eye. A few weeks before the final against Dublin, Jack called a meeting and opened it up to the floor for suggestions about how to improve our preparation. This comes from Donny's book, which we're talking to him about today. Throw everything on the table, lads. Hit me. We're all big boys, says the manager. You know when a manager says that, he, yeah, he, doesn't, yeah, he mean, doesn't necessarily... Don't, don't take that literally, obviously. Okay, so right away I spoke about something I'd often thought about. Look, Jack, the football and training is great and all that, but we don't know what the score is, what's left on the clock. We should, like, have different scenarios, as Donny was used mm. to in basketball training. You know the kind of stuff. Dario Grady would do it at, at crew. 90 seconds left, five points down, yeah. one time out. How do we do this? Yeah, he says you have to think like that in training, otherwise how would you think like it in games? So that's what he throws out. We need more scenarios out there. Well, once that word came out of my mouth, Jack jumped back as if he'd stepped off a footpath and a car had suddenly flown past. I'll give you a scenario, Donahue. There were four balls kicked in between yourself and Cafferty the last day and you won't fuck all of them. There's a scenario for you. That's real talk. Good yeah. constrictive uh, engagement. That was before yeah, the squad. Before mm. the final against Dublin 2011, which Donahue has as one of his proudest performances individually. He was brilliant that day, even though Kerry didn't get over the line. So loads of great stuff, loads of great stories in this book. As you won't be surprised to hear, we'll get stuck into the basketball, I think, quite heavily today. 
because it's a part of the story that I don't know enough about, really. So we'll find out more about it today. Chat about his relationship with his dad and quite a bit of heavy stuff in there as well. And, you know, and whatever else comes up. He's, I always find Donny extremely open and engaging. One of the most open sports people that I've interviewed and I've met him a few times over the years. So looking forward to that. Your initial thoughts, Ken, on Chelsea, Manchester United. I presume Kieran will be in good form after his boys gave United a hell of a beating. An excellent performance by Chelsea Football Club. Uh, for Manchester United, the globality was good. Said Jose Mourinho. Uh, There's was, always that, really, isn't there? You know, <laughs> the globality uh, was good. The specifics when you got when you kind of zoomed in when you started <laughs> pouring over the game, you drilling noticed, down to use a political cliche. You drilled right down to the to the uh, cellular level, um, the sort of histological aspect of the performance wasn't good. Uh, four goals conceded, none scored. Bad result. Um, but in so many other statistical measures, Manchester United were right in that game. Well, they did have more possession this time. Yep. But although it is quite normal to have more possession in a game in which you're 2-0 down so early and the other team just says, all right. We literally don't have to do anything now except defend, give you the ball and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, Attempts, corners. It was, you know. uh, it was, it was bad. They're, they're, in a, they're in a really bad place. You know, it's, it's, I don't see how this is going to improve. In the, you know, the, there are, there are some basic problems there, and the, I think the big issue for them is that there are now five teams on twenty and nineteen points. Manchester United are on fourteen, and you've got uh, Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Chelsea all at least five points ahead of them already. That's a bad situation. It's not just points though, as well. It's it's that the type of that's this, this type of defeat can. Well, you say it can be devastating. I suppose Chelsea had a similar defeat against Arsenal not that long ago, and they seem to have recovered okay from it. Yeah. Um, but it was thoroughly embarrassing. They had they had the two in a row against Liverpool and Arsenal, and since then they've made some big changes. I mean, they've changed their uh, formation, um, and things have gone a lot better since that point. Um, but I just wonder what changes are open for Jose Mourinho to make at this moment. Mm-hmm. There have already been quite a few. He's already... His, Usually, he responds to a, a big defeat or setback by um, punishing somebody for it and moving moving on. Everyone else is kind of oh, they don't want to be the next person to be punished. But already, this has already happened quite a lot this season at Manchester United. Um, you know, look at what's happened with Schwe- I mean Schweinsteiger before anything even started. It was like, well, we'll string him up for a start. He was almost the Andy Reid figure in all this. The, the World Cup winning captain of Germany became Andy Reid, uh, cast aside. Uh, Anthony Marshall, what, what's happened to him this season? Why is he being kind of uh, sort of put in the corner? Mkhitaryan uh, played against Manchester City and was criticised Well, there's just better fullbacks in the club. I mean, that's the decision that Jose Mourinho has made, that he has better fullbacks than Henry available to him than Mkhitaryan and Anthony Martial. Luke Shaw, uh, Wayne Rooney. He's been through quite a lot of them already. So who, where do you go now? Blind? Smalling? Ugh, good. I mean, Smalling. That, that's good. <laughs> but, but, but Eric Bailly's injured now. Yes, of yeah. course. That was the so worst news out of the day. Yeah. The one guy who thinks he's, he's looking solid enough back there despite all the madness going on around him. So... This is this is a this is a tough situation, and it's made tougher by the echoes 
with, with Conte, Conte is like a a new uh, a new manager in the Premier League, um, a new manager who previously has actually only had success, really. With Juventus, just success, success, success. With Italy, they did quite well. You know, they've knocked Spain out of the European Championships. They eventually got beaten by Germany on penalties. It was a close. It was a close run thing. It wasn't as though, wow, that that's a real black eye for Conte. That performance, it wasn't. You know, he, so what I'm saying is, his record is it's just success. He comes in, he loses games to Liverpool and Arsenal. It's not good, but it's not as though people are saying, oh, it's happening again. With Jose Mourinho, that's that's the situation he's in now. His last two jobs have not gone well. Real Madrid, problems with the players, um, you know, ultimately ended in acrimony. Chelsea last season, they're only three points better off Man United than Chelsea were after the same number of games last season. Really? So, yeah, so th- th- this is kind of his record. His record is, is more dubious now. It's like, oh, is this is it is it happening again now? This is why there's more of a doubt, I think, around him. It's going to be harder for him to turn this around. It's, it's a yeah. nice easy game, though, on uh, Wednesday to to sort of jolt them out of the run as they say, welcome Manchester City to yeah. uh, Old Traffic. We will get into that in a lot more detail in today's football podcast. Jerry Thorney and Liam Toland will be on today, on this podcast I should say, a little bit later on uh, an epic day for Munster, Tolman Park there, epic and emotional day in their sort of farewell tribute match to Anthony Foley, absolutely stunning stuff all around really. The club are brilliant. The, the day was as as positive as it could be, and the performance was uh, was suitably impressive from the team. Right now, we're joined in studio, I'm delighted to say, by Kieran Donnie. He's brought out his book, What Do You Think of That? Kieran, how are you keeping? Good one, thanks a million. The last, I think the last time we chatted to you might have been the TV show a couple mm-hmm. of years back, after the 24, uh, 2014 All-Ireland and your amazing story that season. Now, I don't know how well you remember your appearance, but you did take on Murph here in the most dramatic challenge uh, second captains. I do remember that. Of I, I them robbed, all. I think. Well, we can... <laughs> Here the tape. Let's pick this up. 20 seconds to go. Donaghy had been trailing. Comes back at this stage. I think Murph is one point ahead. Let's hear the uh, closing stages. How many NBA teams did Michael Jordan? Two. Correct. How many All-Stars has Colin Cooper won? Murph? Uh, seven. No, incorrect. Six. Incorrect, eight. Why was Carl Malone nicknamed the male Murph? Because he always delivers. Correct. With how many players did Dublin finish the infamous? Here. Twelve. Yes, 8.93. Who was the all-time leading Second scorer in the NBA? Cap and whatever. Kieran Donny. Finish it off. <laughs> Will Chamberlain. Incorrect. It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, the winner is now Murph by three points. There wow. you go. What a even more dramatic in retrospect. <laughs> I'd actually completely forgotten what that was, but yeah, we got there in the that end. That second yeah. last answer was one of the greatest answers of all time, by the way, by Kieran. Here, how many with how many players Dublin finish? <laughs> twelve. Yeah, that was pretty good. The twelve <laughs> are possibly in there somewhere. Will, uh, Will Chamberlain, though, I would have thought the basketball you'd be all right. You'd have yeah, to cream. I should have known cream. I got I got a bit of stick about that afterwards. Um, <laughs> I've got them here. Wilt the Silt was only fifth, actually. Michael Jordan fourth. Malone is second, is he? Cameron? Yeah, the ma- the mailman is the second. Mailman. Kobe Bryant third, and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar yeah. just the 38,387 points <laughs> <laughs> and, about, and half from hook shots <laughs> yeah. you were back playing basketball the weekend for yeah the absolutely yeah, I've been back this year it's been it's been great uh, it's been kind of in the pipeline for about a year we've done a lot of work on it in Chile and uh, we had a thousand people at the game the other night so it was wow. incredible uh, some of the pictures from the Irish basketball website have been have been fantastic. Look from, great, from the and it night. seemed like they were there well before a tip off. <laughs> I, came and all in, I came in at uh, I was late, of course, as always. So <laughs> I was supposed to be there at half six, but uh, 
I was 25 to 7 landing in the door and there was literally a queue of four or 500 people outside an hour and a half before the game. I was just kind of saying, I, 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 to be honest, I kind of got a, a, a notion of pride and, and a sense of kind of uh, that all, our, all the hard work of the committee and the people I got in involved in this, that it was kind of, yeah, this is after paying off and Tralee and Kerry is a huge basketball town and, and county and... Um, you know, even the Dubs guys, I was talking to Isaac Westbrooks with a few jars after the game and, you know, he was saying he was just blown away by it and we were kind of, we were saying that we should really try and work on Basketball Ireland, try and get the attendances up at all games, whether it's a case of letting, getting busloads of kids in for free and charge the coaches, but we just need to get bums on seats because this is a great game and when it's seen live and it's, there's a bit of effort around the promotion of it, it's uh, it's special. Like we were down there the last night, the lights went out in the gym when we came out, they had spotlights in the middle of the floor, they Music banging, kids were bouncing. I saw a tape on the, I saw a video on the Irish TV website, or the uh, uh, or Irish TV Warriors Facebook page, and it was the intros and uh, the lights out and just the crowd going, and it was wow. it was just special. And I have it in the book in the in the sleeping with the ball chapter that that's how I fell in love with the game, watching the Tigers in '96 win their league and sitting down, and all of a sudden the lights going out. So I was kind of, that was one of my big things. I was like, the boys are calling me Jackie Moon in semi-pro. But I'm, like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the promoter, I'm the coach, I'm the player. I'm, I'm fighting a bear next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was a little bit, the, the, the hanging from the rafters era is really the 80s, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That the Karen Shannon talked about in that yes. book, but there was still a lot of that glamour around uh, when, you were, when you were starting up. Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's, I was down in Neptune Stadium, uh, watching the likes of Gerald Kennedy and Pat O'Shea, the, the Kerry manager, play with the, with the Tigers way back in '89, uh, getting my battered sausages and chips from the local chipper around the corner from Neptune Stadium, heading back to Tralee, delighted with everything. Um, so yeah, it's it's since then, but you know certainly um, the, the the league is very exciting this year. There's a lot of good teams, and that we just need to start, you know, shouting from the shouting from the rooftops and get people in because. You know, we're getting highlights every week. Uh, there's a kid with Temple Log that's doing reverse dunks, and um, you know he's 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 a high flyer, an Irish guy, um, Larkin Murphy, I think his name is, but uh, a, a top player. And you know, we've got these guys playing. Uh, we don't have to rely on the Americans to be dunking anymore. Now, like you know, our our, our warm up line the last night with the likes of Ryan Leonard and Paul McMahon and these young kids who are six four and six five jumping out of the gym is 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 enough in itself. Who are the other big Irish players on your with Tralee when you were playing? Uh, when I was playing, it was Michal Quirk and John T, and they were the, they were the guys. And when I was watching, it was it was it was uh, Kieran O'Sullivan and Vinnie Murphy and John T. And John T. was 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 when I was watching, and then went on to play with him, obviously. So, um, but they were the boys. They were the boys that we watched, and they were the boys that we idolised. And uh, uh, going on that Saturday night, um, we're starting that trend again. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Michal Quirk because he is a regular analyst on the podcast. Yes, Aaron. and I'm delighted to say that you're a former. Uh, Kerry teammate and Tralee Tigers teammate Mike Quirk joins us now Michal how are you? Uh, he's lucky he's mentioned me Quirky out of nowhere He's been describing himself here Michal as a cross between Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant on the basketball court is that about accurate? I assume he's been drinking this morning <laughs> I, I did like the bit about wrestling the bear next week though because looking at him looking at him play basketball last Saturday night that was about the best thing he could have done with <laughs> <laughs> tell us I know Kieran's going to be too embarrassed to be you know and two, you won't be too not kind about each other here but uh, there was a nice quote from the book the amount of scrapes we were in as in you two boys alongside John T and, and somehow found a way to come out on the right side that formed a bond that's nearly impossible to recreate or equal anywhere else or with anyone else is that the way you found it? 
Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, the basketball, you see, the basketball is very, very different to the, to the way the GA works around here. And 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 I always thought that the basketball was more for the players, and the players always got more from it as opposed as opposed to the supporters and stuff. And and all of us that were in it knew you weren't getting any kind of column inches in the paper on the following Monday morning if you had a great game, or there was nobody, there was no endorsement deals, there was nothing for the basketball, but it was just more for the pure enjoyment and. And, and just getting something really special out of it for the players ourselves. And I think that just kind of, it hardened our case that it was just for us and, and whether we won or we lost, we went down together. And it did, it, it formed a kind of a, a really tight bond that, that you don't get in that football because it's a little bit of a, a wider circle of people, I suppose. Was that it for you, Karen? Absolutely, yeah. Um, he's bang on. It's just, it's just that kind of, you know, you're around with 12 guys all year and if you get a few injuries, you're down to 10. So it's just, you know, it's that, that much closer. It's, sometimes I look at the American football and you see 16, 70 fellas on the team at the, at the start of the year. You're kind of like going, how, did, how are they all getting on with each other? Or how do they all know each other? It's just, it's mind-blowing to me. But with the basketball, certainly we had that we had that bond and, you know, it, it was it was me, Michal and John were, were, were kind of... We were the three kind of main Irish guys for the Tigers and it was a kind of a case of every night we had to rely on each other to step up and perform and if one of us were having an off night, we needed, if I was having an off night, which I often did, I needed Tehan and Quirk to be big and, you know, more often than not they were. Did your Kerry managers, Michal, not have a major problem with uh, with this crack going on? Yeah, you need to read a book, Murph. You need to read the book. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm teeing no. you up, Michal. You've obviously read it. No, so I good. mean, I mean, Jack, Jack, Jack was Jack wasn't too bad actually. We thought we saw Pat coming in, and we said, "Oh, she's Pat. Pat Shea will be brilliant. <laughs> Pat played basketball. Pat's going to be, you know, he'll be leaving us play games on a Saturday night and play on a Sunday. Yeah, play away, yeah, at, play away at April, boys. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really work out. Uh, that didn't really work out the way the way it was planned, you know. Um, and and you know, to be fair to to them, fellas, they're obviously looking at. They're only concentrated on their their job at the time. Mm-hmm. Their job at the time is is um, is to make sure that the likes of of uh, of Danny doesn't go breaking an ankle playing above in in Belfast in a basketball game on a Saturday night, and he's out for the rest of the season. So uh, you can understand their their trepidation with with allowing guys to go and play two sports. But uh, no, they weren't the most um, they weren't the most uh, hospitable <laughs> towards us trying to play basketball and football at the same time. Yeah, I can probably imagine. Did uh, you played on until 2008? I think both mm-hmm. of you played until 2008, and that was when you won the Super League against Super League final against Colester, which sounds sounds like you talked about basketball being a, a, a sport with very few players anyway. But in that night in particular, you're down to the bare bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were down to the bare bones. We we lost our American. He broke his index finger. On the Monday night, and our uh, Greek point guard, Paris Katsimpas, uh, dislocated his ankle, landing on a basketball in the layup line two nights before the, the semi-final against Neptune. So you're going up without two of your paid players, and mm. we were going up against Colester, who had Paddy Kelly, Damien Seeley, Irish internationals everywhere you look. Plus they had a, a big guy from Africa, Arnu Dehi, and they had Michael Bonaparte now, who's playing with Temple Oak. Um, so yeah, they were stacked, and they'd beaten us in the cup final when we had all our guys. So I'd say they might have just taken they might have just taken it for granted that they were going to beat us. Um, and we'd sacrificed a lot to keep playing till that time of the year. April is tough to to juggle both sports, yeah. so we'd put an awful lot in the line myself and, and Michal, probably Michal more so because I was suspended for that last the last game that that um, that that he he had to miss against Leash, but uh, the basketball and the club. Um, obviously after we were on such a high because it was just such a win you know in Super League titles it's, it's an All-Ireland medal uh, they're hard to come by um, we played a lot of years uh, and, and, won, and won two of them so 
it's uh, it's not easy to do and, and certainly the, the scenes after that game and throughout all that weekend and what guys did right down from the three of us but right down to the Liam Culties and the Kevin O'Donoghue's and the Jeremiah's guys who played limited minutes all year long all of a sudden had to play seven or eight minutes in, a, in an all Ireland final and all of them to men performed which was you know and it was a real dog fight we turned it into a dog fight we had to isn't that right big dog <laughs> Like if if you ever needed proof that things always work out fine for Kieran Donny, that game, <laughs> that game was it. Like, I mean, we we're above playing Mayo, uh, above in Castle Bar the previous week, and we have this pact between us. We're like, listen, we'll play the game, we'll go to Patchy after, we'll say, look, Pat, here's the story, man. We've been playing with the basketball all year. Can we please like just just skip this leash game and and play the basketball finals? It's one week in, and we're we're done, and and we're both like, yeah, we're in it, we're together, Kieran. Yeah, this is what we're gonna do. So at the end of the game, this guy from, from Mayo throws this wooden spoon at Danny and Danny gives him man the middle finger. Oh, here and Danny gets oh, yeah, a one-game yeah. suspension for the following weekend. <laughs> so so then it's like, OK, uh, you go paddle your own canoe there, buddy. I go out there the basketball. <laughs> so I'm kind of like Pat, to be fair to Pat at the time. Unfortunately for me, I had a massive game against Mayo. And Pat's like, you can't go away now and go play basketball. You have to go play against Leash. And I'm like, geez, Pat, I have to play the basketball. Man. So this drama was going on for about a week before eventually we, we worked it out to go and play the basketball. But even that final, like that bat, that game in itself, like they'd, they'd make one of those ESPN, you know, 60 for 60s about that game. Like it was just an incredible, incredible game. Um, and and like even in the stand, I suppose there was probably maybe 100 people at the game. You know, there was, it, was, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a huge crowd. It was above in Limerick. And, and it was one of the best sporting memories like that I that I take with me to the to the grave that whole that whole experience of that weekend and uh, and that's probably what the basketball does it's not about the crowd or it's not about anything else it's it's probably just about the guys that are that are on the floor and that are that are that are in it at the time you know Miguel while we have you on I think I do have to give you a right of reply here because Kieran has included a rather scurrilous story about you, about you in the book uh, surrounding the 2008, I think it was a 2008 holiday to the Bahamas. Jesus, lads. Yeah, here you go. So, right, you end up in a dodgy enough nightclub. I've been drinking with Michal Quirk since I was 19 and I've never even seen the big man wobble. But just after we've gone through the security check and are walking up this ramp to the main door, Michael collapses. Timber! I reach down to pick him up and what's better, one of the bouncers helps me and escorts him in. After that, he's a new man, giving it loads on the dance floor, pointing and swaying from side to side, getting down, getting low. Uh, unfortunately, not all the locals were as impressed with your moves. Uh, Michal, would you, would you like to... Um, <laughs> Uh, verify the, the the truth of this Clear story. This to, up to, for the record. Yeah. To the window, yeah. to the wall. Yeah. To the window, <laughs> to the wall. Yeah, I'm delighted. I'm delighted. That that made him like he was above in his house. Actually, he was telling me that uh, <clears throat> you know I'm going putting in that story about the Bahamas. He says to me, and I said that that story's got nothing to do with you, man. That's about me. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's a great story. <laughs> Um, no, I look. Yeah, Kieran. Yeah, I wasn't even going to go out that night actually, and and he kind of he kind of peer pressured me into it really and bullied me into it, which he normally doesn't. Um, we had a good we had a good crack. Now to be fair, it was a nice spot over in the Bahamas, but um, I probably wouldn't be frequenting that nightclub again no. if I were. <laughs> all right, well, you, you all survived safely. They told anyway. us not to leave the island. <laughs> no, yeah, and the last thing actually before I move off it, we we were all fine and we got back over the island, got back to the to the nightclub in the hotel. Uh, a nice spot now, big, big, big nightclub. And within about 10 minutes, Danny had been escorted out of the nightclub for knocking over a table of drinks. I got a fit of reversal, I was on the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mike, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Okay, guys, take it easy. There you are, Michal Quirk. There you are, former Kerry and, uh, and Trinity Tigers teammate. The book, you had to go writing the book yourself, first of all. 
I did. That was the plan. Mm. Uh, I guess I took probably inspiration from my from my fellow county man Paul Galvin. He did such a good job with his that I I kind of got the notion that I'd like to do it and. Um, I got the opportunity to get a redundancy package from the bank where I finished up. I wasn't starting my, my new job with PST Sportal January the 18th. So I had like six months and, you know, it was obviously the year I was captain. So I wanted to give everything to Kerry, but to keep the mind ticking over and to keep me going. I kind of And to keep me in a routine more so than anything, I'd go to the gym at seven. I'd come back at half eight. Hillary would have the poached eggs and um, avocado and the brown toast. Um, I'd have my cup of tea and, you know, bring Lola Rose over to the mind or whatever, or mind her myself, or Hillary was staying with her, Hillary was at home as well. And, and then there was a case of me sitting down, going into the other room and doing two or three hours of writing and just trying to come up with stuff and stories. And my mum had kept all these scrapbooks, so it was very good to jog the memory. Um, but obviously I just couldn't, I couldn't, even though I wrote, you know, I wrote loads, you know, I wrote for six months, but it was all over the shop and it was... I couldn't tie it together and I didn't know where to start the book or where to finish it. And obviously Kieran came in, Kieran Shannon came in and, you know, I knew meeting him, he was going to be my my choice because of the basketball and the football and how much, you know, he knows on, on both sports. So I was very keen on him from then. Um, but soon as I sat down with him and we had a five-hour meeting, our first time meeting, and um, I think like two or three days later, I'd given him some of my stuff and he came back to me with, 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 with stuff and I loved it straight away and we were off then. Yeah, and, and that's despite uh, having dyslexia, which is a, a unbelievably ballsy move to make to say, right, no, I want to try and, and write this myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, I got diagnosed with having it when I was about 24, 25, you know, so um, it was it was good for me. It was good to know that I had something that was good to tell people and get it off my chest that I had it at the time because, you know, I was failing these exams in the bank. You know, I failed my leaving certain maths twice. Um and it was kind of Hillary that kind of noticed that there was something going on because you know she was doing, <laughs> she was doing the grinds with me on these QFA exams, and she could nearly get a hundred out of a hundred, I'd say, and I still couldn't kind of get over the line against them. So she just said, "There's, there's not something right." And even she, she kind of noticed that when you're studying, when you're reading out a question, and I'm trying to answer it there and then, and like she's after going over with me, and now she's looking at me, and I'm looking back at her blankly because the four answers are nearly the exact same. There might be a word out and a word in different areas. Mm. So it was like. You know, to me, I was just lost on it. So, um, yeah, but look, it's, you know, it's something that I've dealt with and it's, it's great. It, like in Ireland now, it's getting spotted. The teachers are very sharp in it. You know, the amount of parents that have gone on to me on Facebook saying, you know, that their kid has it and they're delighted that, you know, it didn't stop me from achieving whatever I can. And, you know, and, and that, that'd that be the message to the kids out there is is take it for what it is. Uh, you have to, in life, you have to find your way around it. Most dyslexic people are very open, kind of friendly people because they kind of nearly have to be. Um, and I think that's something that's that's a big weapon to kind of use against it. And um, yeah, no, it's 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 something that I'm 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 you know I'm an open kind of I'm an open book as they would say in a way. So uh, yeah, it was something that I'd I'd let people know straight away because you know spelling is obviously a huge one, and someone could be asking me to say uh, write out something there to Rebecca, and I wouldn't be sure if there was two C. I'd be like, oh, would you spell that again? So you know, it was something great to kind of get off my chest like that that people understand why. Why do you think that is that people who have dyslexia can tend to be quite open? Is it just that there's a difficulty expressing yourself? In writing, uh, so p- p- possibly it's just I think it's your kind of mechanism to kind of work against it, you know, um, be out there and be friendly, and it's you know, there's so many dyslexic people have made it in in the world of business and stuff like that that they use their personality mm. to kind of get over the line and and work against the stuff that they mightn't be able to do, but you know that 
the, the teachers now and, and, and the education system have ways to help kids that have dyslexia and are getting spotted very young, you know, and to need them out there, like, you know, that, that it's, it's, no, it's no biggie. You go, just, just get to work and, and, and work around it as best you can and, and get the help if it's out there, if it's needed. That also explains the artwork in the book. There's quite a bit of artwork and uh, there's more photographs. You, you battle for more photos to be involved. You wanted to make this as easy as possible for people to read. Absolutely, yeah. That was a huge part of it and that's why, you know, uh, Paul Dove and, and Roy Gilfoyle and Trinity Mirror, I broke their chops um, <laughs> to get the picture sections and, you know, the, you know, the chapter lead-ins that kind of graffiti yeah. work, yeah. like they were all my idea. I spent hours kind of They're pitching. Great. They look great. Yeah, yeah. pitching. This. I wanted someone that was reading the chapter. I wanted a 15-year-old Kieran Donaghy that was reading the chapter. We'll say the chapter on my dad, yeah. that when a person is, is four or five pages into it, they've seen the picture of my dad on the, on the page before the chapter starts. So they're, they have a picture of them in their head. That's very helpful for a dyslexic person. You know, like, you know, them novels, them... Game of Thrones and all these oh, books yeah, yeah, that yeah. people are supposed to kind of come up with people in their head. Like, I couldn't read that if I was there for a million years because I couldn't picture what they're talking about in my head. I can't come up with that image in my head. So I wanted to make sure that there was an image there for the person, you know, and that's that's a kind of little nod to the kind of dyslexic readers that are going to be reading it. And I think everybody else will enjoy it as well because there was an awful lot of time put into it and a lot, a lot of over and back, take this out and put this in with the lads and... Yeah, as I said, pretty much broke their chops in it. Yeah, there's some great photos in it as well. I mean, the one, I think it might have been shown on the late, late the other night. Murph, maybe you can describe what you're seeing here. This is probably one of my favourite photos that I've seen in a sports book. Right, so it's the uh, 1987 Cork Kerry. It's the drawing game or the replay. The drawing game, I think, is in Killarney. So there's uh, Pat Spillanis on the ground in intense pain. Jack O'Shea is leaning over him, uh, offering a, a limited amount of comfort, I would say. <laughs> and then the third person inside the wire <clears throat> is a four-year-old... <laughs> Kieran Donaghy at his first muster final that is actually the baby In- inside the wire like, literally inside sitting the, wire, yeah. the, the only that's the only spot look, for a four year old look, yeah. look, looking at it in high, like looking at it now and someone said this, said this to me the last day and I'd already thought about it like his Pat's plan was, was you know you, you know Pat he's, he's a big strong man you know and he was I'd say a big strong player too like in real life and you know I'm what I'm four or five feet from like if he'd a careered out from the belt Niall Cahillan yeah. and landed on top of me I could have been killed I could have been <laughs> yeah. massive lined up against the wall uh, and I think that's why I'm looking back at my dad to kind of say yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe I should get out of here uh, this was exciting that, for a while that, that was yeah. close yeah. Yeah, too yeah, close yeah. for comfort yeah. Yeah. it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of your stories of your father revolve around football both mm-hmm. good and bad mm-hmm. you, going right back to then and, and, mm-hmm. and into your career is that fair to say? yeah the, the, that was certainly a bond we had you know he was he loved the game and, you know, he showed me the 1986 All-Ireland Final and gave me 105 reasons why Tyrone didn't be carried that day and they should have gone for goal from the penalty and this fella should have caught that ball. And I know that game by the back of my hand, like, you know, uh, the great Kerry, the great Kerry comeback when, when Spillane and Mikey Sheehy got the, got the goals to, to haul him back into the game. And yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely a bond. Like, as you know, he was the first guy to take me to a football pitch. Um, he used to be telling people, and my mum has confirmed it, that I was soloing a ball nearly by the time I could walk. I was able to kick it up and catch it myself, which is a solo. I'd probably be a better soloer <laughs> than I am now. Um, but it was, it, was, it was, you know, it was definitely our band. And, yeah. you know, most of the stories uh, revolve in and around something to do with football. And that was, yeah. that was the kind of band we had. Well, like, you know, you, your, your famous breakthrough year in 2006 and that moment when you scored the goal against Armagh, which everybody would remember. Mm-hmm. You make a, it's, it's your dad who you make a beeline for after the game. He's at the match 
but you hadn't spoken for, I think you'd kind of reconnected shortly before that, but there'd been a period of a couple of years then. It seemed like that was the sort of relationship you had. There, there might be a year or two where you don't speak and then football sometimes brought you back together. 100%. Like, we, you know, we had a good relationship when everything was on song, but yeah. if he went any bit off the rails or, you know, or, or he was struggling at, at a period of time, you know, that that'd often affect our relationship because... You know, at the end of the day, that's why, you know, that's why the split up happened between my mum and dad. And I used to be always very keen in him, you know, to, to stay on the stay on the good road and mm. not to fall back off it. And, you know, I used to try and, you know, preach that to him. And when he was good and when I could tell he was being good, I, like when we talked on the phone, I'd know if he was if he was tuned in or not. And um, when you say tuned in, you mean off the drink? Yeah, off the drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah off yeah. the drink. And, and, and I'd know by his I'd know by his mannerisms on the phone if he had drink on board. Mm. So I'd know. Well, he's ringing me now, he's drinking, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah, way. Yeah. So, uh, we, you know, that was just something that I was able to kind of, that's 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 the way I tried to handle it. But most of the ups and downs came out of either something happening with football or not. Yeah, such so as the 2008 All-Ireland Final. You can, yeah, yeah, because uh, I, I, like, before that game, I knew well that the that the the media would look at the angle of, of a parent being from Tyrone and a parent being from Kerry and Kerry and Tyrone and all that. And I just said to him, look, Dad, just don't do any of the media, but... You know, I can I can see them being up there soon, and my dad. Oh, do I only say a few words, and mm. we won't put that much in. And you know, I can imagine what they would have said to him to get him to do the piece. Um, and then, you know, I'm opening up the paper on a Saturday morning, heading off for the biggest game of my life. Kerry are going for three in a row. We're playing against an unbelievable Tyrone team, and I'm reading stuff that I should be scoring two three, and that if I was playing with Tyrone, that they'd be going for three in a row. And I just remember going, Oh no! So I'm laughing now, but I'm sure it wasn't. Oh no, it wasn't. No, I was, I was I was fuming at the time, and yeah. you know, it was just it was probably. You know, I can just see him sitting in the room and, and and guys, you know, and guys giving him all that and, oh, your son is great and he's just talking away mm. back to them kind of like I would be, you know, but maybe without that bit of sharpness to know that, like, this is this is, this is is print media and this is this is a newspaper that's going to run with this and, you know, it was front page, back page, two pages in the middle and the Saturday before in All-Ireland, you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> stay yeah. out of the papers, no, yeah. lads, and we don't want anything in the papers. Oh, but you the Tyrone defenders wouldn't have had anything to say about that anyway, no, so no, sure no, 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 no. Retiring budge. That, mm. those yeah, lads. they were, they were a nice bunch of fellas. <laughs> don't be much talk out of them. Was there a, is there a sense that having written about your dad in the book and, you know, it's interesting, you even say that yourself and some of your family members don't necessarily agree. You feel that he may have had bipolar and, and not been diagnosed, for example, and some of your, some of the rest of the family think you're maybe being too sympathetic towards him there. Has it helped you to sort of come to terms with the fact that you guys weren't connected at the time that you that, that he passed away, that you hadn't spoken in a while? The, the, the fact that you've actually put it down here in print and talked about him in this way? Yeah, I think, like, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a, a psychologist and I can't diagnose anybody, but, you know, I know a few people that have it. Um, I've read up on a lot of the symptoms and it was at a time where mental health wouldn't have been looked at at the same way as it is now. And um, I suppose the ultimate regret is maybe that if he was, which I, I, I do for one think he was, um, that, you know, that if he could have been met by someone and, you know, on medication, it would have helped because 50% of people that are bipolar are either addicted to alcohol, you know. So, um, you know, it, it, there is that kind of a connection there. And I would have loved if maybe it was spotted, if, it, 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 you know, even just to get, brought to somebody and see if it is and then you know oh you're not that okay that's okay too yeah. but I would have loved to if he was could he have been put on medication could he have been helped could he have had a better support structure uh, could he have looked upon it better than you would have back in the 80s and 90s where you would say I'm not bipolar like I put in it I can imagine my dad Jesus Christ I'm not bipolar you can shag off with that kind of thing <laughs> do you know what I mean so um, I can I can see him saying that um, but at the, a part of me would have loved if he 
was diagnosed and we got to spend all our lives with him at home like a like a, a a normal family would and you know that and that and that when he died then like you know I, I just think of the stuff he m- missed out on like you know he missed out on our wedding he's missed out on Lola Rose being born he's missed out on you know some of the good times but there was that time in 06 where I did make the beeline for him he was on a good path at that stage he had a few ponies above in the north that he was looking after and he was living a good healthy lifestyle and my uncle Jack and my cousin Stephen up there were, were were always very good to me with the rest of the family, and that's where I would have loved if if maybe we got the chance to do that ourselves with him, and that's that's right. probably a bit of a bit of a regret that you know we didn't get to have that really. On the football, there's one of my favourite images from the book is of yourself and Colm Cooper after the league final this year, 2016 league mm-hmm. final, uh, at about half past eleven in the morning in some place in Killarney or Tralee having a, having a few drinks <laughs> and I think well I think I might have been been the gooch a bit more interested in talking about the football than you were but just trying to work out how to get back how, how to get back to winning All-Irelands and beating Dublin Yeah it was it was it was you know to be honest I don't like talking about football with drinking me but we didn't really have drinkers we just met at this stage but you know it's the day after you lose you know and lose a game that you were in for a long period and next thing all of a sudden it's a double digit loss and you're kind of you know you're scratching your head you've had a good you've had a good league so far and you know Dublin can do that to you if you switch off for a few minutes they can rattle in goals and points and you know when you've 60,000 behind you and you're you're going on you're playing them on the road as 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 such it's it's mm-hmm. hard like you know kind of look at playing them uh, they're such a good team and then you're going up to Croke Park and they've and they're at home and they're used to it. Like you know, to be like you know, if you're, if you're talking about basketball and game sevens, look up game sevens and how many have been won on yeah. the road by road teams. Um, it's hard to do and um, there you know, like we were kind of sitting there, kind of going right. We got well beaten by the Dubs yesterday, you know, and we start the course the usual. We start trying to figure it out and what can we do to improve. And eventually, I was like, look, Cole, do you know what we'll do, no man? We'll just get back and we'll start training harder. We'll do more in the gym. We'll do more on the pitch. We'll do extra kicking because no, we're not going to solve anything here. Yeah. No, let's just have a few <laughs> drinks and, and enjoy each other's company for a while. Yeah, like are are Kerry? Do you think are they a little in danger of building Dublin up too much? Because like you watch Mayo in the drone game and in the replay, and obviously they made a million mistakes, but it kind of seemed like they didn't show Dublin any respect at all, and that really worked out for them. I mean, is there an element just because Kerry and Dublin is such a storied rivalry and everything like that that at the moment Kerry are nearly too respectful of Dublin? You just have to take it for what it is. We've played them four times, you know, in, in four championship games and they've beaten us. Um, two were very close uh, and um, one was was three or four points and then one they, they blew us out. So, you know, you just have to take it on its face value. They're a very good team. You know, we've struggled to beat them in the last four or five years. It is what it is. You know, we can't, you know, we can't hide from it. We can't shirk, shirk it. We can't say we're paying them too much respect or too little respect because at the end of the day, the battle's taking place for 70 minutes out on the pitch. Um, you know, we'd full faith in ourselves going into this game that we were going to win and that we were going to perform. We did that for for thirty five minutes, and uh, I think that period after ten minutes was was crucial in the game. Whereas we're five points up, if we extend that to seven or eight, Kerry go on and win comfortably. But instead, Dublin come out in the first three or four minutes, and it's back to one. And all of a sudden, then you know, again they've got momentum, they've got the crowd behind them, they're rocking and rolling, and. You know, I've been out there against against the best of teams, and once that Dublin team get 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 on that kind of you know march and and the crowd are behind them, they're they're hard to stop. So, them. so it's not a case of overthinking it. You know, you, no, no, you no. actually do have to you do have to pay them that respect because you do if, you don't, to, if you don't, if you don't, they've won four Ireland's yeah. in the last six years. You have, to, of course, they deserve mm. they deserve the maximum of respect. But 
that's respect in pre-game build-up. Once you cross the white lines, mm. you're going to war. You're going to try and beat them. You don't respect them at all. That's that has to be the way. You know, um, you have to you have to play like that if you're going to, if you're going to try and beat them. And you know, we pushed them close, and Mayo pushed them close, and and they showed why they're champions, and they were able to pull out two two victories out of the bag when maybe at times in both games you wouldn't think they would have and that has to be you know that's the sign of a, of, of a great team and you know we had that kind of resolve back from 04 or 06 or 07 or 09 getting six finals in a row like this Dublin team you know and we had that kind of inner belief and confidence that no matter what came at us we were going to knock it out I remember playing Monaghan one year and being down three points with four or five minutes to go and just kicking four points reeling off with four points in a row but having that inner belief that yeah we're good enough and that's something that we're trying to work to, you know. Our our Ireland final win in 2014 was a massive result for the county, considering yeah. where we were at, at, after the league that season, you know. But we're knocking on the door, and we've got a lot of young players coming up, so future for Kerry is bright. Um, this Dublin team are, are without a doubt one of the one of the best Dublin teams ever. So um, you know, like we 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 looked at them going into that semi final. Like, look, this is what they got. This is what we got. We got to go try and beat them. And for a lot of the game, we did quite well. A um, few decisions late on that are always going to be tight. But that, I think that's what it comes down to now in the modern game. It comes down to very few small things. I think every team is nearly as fit as each other. Every team's got a, all the top teams have kind of got a squad of 21 players or, or 26 or 30, but that they can use 21 solid players. Um, so I don't think there's much difference between the top counties in that regard. But... It's just small little things. It's a breaking ball here. You look at the 2013 semi-final. It's a breaking ball. You know, it ends up in the back of the net and that's game. You know, it's it's that close. So um, we were proud of ourselves after the semi-final but obviously disappointed to lose. Well, listen, Kieran, congratulations on the book. It's, absolutely, it's great stuff. We haven't even mentioned Chelsea yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's really gloating over all the Man United fans out yeah, there. Yeah, well, do you know what? I, I, I try not to because you're never too far away from it coming back. <laughs> so I learned that in school. Just when we take our wins, just smile and be happy. And don't get into too much slagging because you find that when the result goes against you, the next day it comes back 10 times over. Very, yeah, yeah probably a, a nice way to approach life and sport. Listen, Kieran Donny, what do you think of that as the name of the book? Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Thanks boys. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown! Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the street. Six foot nine outside here! On the sidewalk where the neon sign is. Oh, rejected by Parker! Pops this shot! Nothing but net! You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Downtown! Things will be great when you're downtown! No final place for sure. Downtown! There you go, Kieran Donahue. What do you think of that? Is the name of his book. It's really good. Go and get your hands on it if you're uh, interested in the. Uh, well, a big career in Gaelic football, an interesting life away from uh, away from the sporting fields, but also the basketball, which we, I guess we focused on a lot more there than usual. As I said earlier, uh, I didn't just know too much about that, and I thought it was mm. and he's uh, he's back could... playing as well, and he's yeah, he's playing again, yeah. Got to get Mike Quirk back, get the um, well, I mean, get the I, old gang together again. That's what I, I, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I mean, it, it, I'm, I defer to their greater knowledge, but I mean, t- I mean, what we what we actually should have done there is we should have asked. Mike live on air. Yeah, what what the hell is stopping you here? You know, well, obviously injury age, whatever. But forget about that, Mike. We need you back. 
it's incredible how the different mindset that he had at first with football. Like Donny moved away from it for a couple of years when he was 16. He wasn't even, he had a really bad game in uh, an under 16 match and kind of said, look, what am I doing here? I'm not getting really, I'm on the outskirts of things with Kerry. I'm not amazing for my club. I'm much more natural as a basketballer. I know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm the best player the whole time. Uh, this persists the point that he was put in full forward by Jack O'Connor in 2006. He says you can maybe transform, a ba- this is what he was thinking at the time, you can maybe transform a basketballer into a midfielder for Kerry, but full forward for Kerry, I'd nearly feel like an imposter. <laughs> you know, so it's, that, that was the kind of start of it. And immediately it became the game plan. Mm. It obviously went well in training and it wasn't just like, we'll see how this goes. They were pinning this whole season, having lost in Munster to this new slightly left field plan. And it turned out that he's he's more than done his bit as, as a full forward over the years where he's played quite a lot of his football. But I was just quite struck by that, that he wasn't, he was never fully sure of himself yeah. in that position. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a gradual thing. I mean, the guy was picked full forward and it was immediately like a tornado ripping through yeah. sort of the uh, expected ways to play Gaelic football at that time. Uh, he completely, like everyone had a big full forward the following year, you know? It was just one of those sort of tactical innovations where everyone just hopped aboard it straight away because he had been such a complete revelation from a guy that, you know, you'd have to have been watching the Kerry scene pretty uh, intently to know who Kieran Donaghy was at the start of that year. And he finished the year pretty much the most famous footballer in Ireland. Or if you'd watched Underdogs, the TG Car. Yeah. It was in TG Car that was yeah. on. There was a, a show, a team he was involved in on stage. Anyway, we'll move on from that to tell you what's coming up in today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you know? I'd like to stay alive. Oh, I'd like to go to the other I'd say it to you, Pax. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you show me, man? Well, Owen, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the methods that have brought Dundalk uh, such success to seal their third uh, uh, championship win in a row over the weekend, uh, last night. And so we're going to talk to Graham Byrne, who's the fitness coach who's been working with them over that period of success, trying to get an insight into just what's been going on there that's kind of helped to set them apart um, and also talk a little bit about uh, what was happening in Spain and obviously all the stuff that was happening in England. It was quite a big weekend there as well. Simon, a huge bonus point for Leinster, but we're going to start at Tottenham Park. Obviously, the occasion was incredible. The performance level, I thought, I think everybody was blown away by how well Munster played. Probably the best performance I can think of in a hell of a long time. Yeah, I was sort of thinking back through their great performances afterwards. It was up there with the away quarterfinal against Harlequins when Paul O'Connell was immense that day. But in terms of skill level and, and creating try-scoring opportunities, it was like something from 2008, the last time they won a Heineken Cup. Um, everyone was expecting them to be ultra-aggressive and passionate, but I just wasn't expecting them to be so calm and so skillful. Liam Toland and Jerry Thornley are ready to go. Jerry, very, thanks very much for making it into studio. I guess even from the songs beforehand to the the focus during the game that Simon uh, talks a bit about there, the post-match stuff with his sons on the field, obviously very emotional, but it seemed like Munster got everything right on the day. Yeah, very much so. They touched all the right buttons. They, they It was very classy what they did. Um, it wasn't overhyped played. It wasn't... It was just... It struck all the right notes, all the right songs. Um the right mood. Mm. Um, it was a celebration of Anthony Foley's life as much as anything else and it succeeded in all of that and more. And it was very, very emotional, very poignant, 
very sad and yet weirdly uplifting at the same time. Yeah, it was almost as an occasion, well, it was a very unique set of circumstances, but really it was kind of like uh, a time portal, Liam Toland, into, you know, back into into Munster's glory days, you know, that uh, which Anthony Foley drove in so many ways. Well, I, I decided in many ways while I'm sitting in the, in the match to not take any notes or just let the whole occasion, I suppose, sink in with me. But I just couldn't help when the um, the penalty try was given, which was the fourth try, I think, wasn't it? it was the bonus point try, was that it? The penalty yeah, try yeah, under the yeah. posts. And I was just thinking in my mind, saying, look, if, if I was CJ Stander, I'd say, we don't want the penalty try. We want to push this scrum over the line and I want to score it as the now, the number eight for Munster. And it, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment in my own little mind that, that so much occurred uh, all week and on that particular day that... For that penalty you try to, to, to have occurred, um, like you, you think of all the great days of Munster and the, you think of the, the legends who've played in that red jersey um, and how important pushover tries. Having had the pleasure of being in the pack, a Munster pack, and having had the displeasure of being pushed back by it when we played them in, in Leinster Munster fixtures. But that pushover try there was just pure quality. The gods were definitely looking down on Holman Park uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. The focus in the performance, Jerry, I thought was hugely impressive mm. by the players because I was worried worried that the occasion was going to get to them. You know, we saw Zebo and others visibly emotional before a game, which all the sports psychologists would tell you isn't that, isn't ideally the way to go into high level sport. But you know, the Earls' red card aside, it seemed like they managed it so well. Not just the ferocity and the focus that people were talking about, but the the accuracy to their play, which we haven't always seen in recent years. They were absolutely determined that they were going to produce a performance as if Anthony Foley was still the head coach, just played the exact way he would have wanted them to play. And I think that gave them a great focus given the, they must have had negligible preparations. And it just shows you that when the mind is right and when the emotions are charged and the, the stadium is full to capacity, you can, rugby's so basic in that sense. Um, and yeah, you're right. I, I remember Peter Romani on the Wednesday breaking down in tears a couple of times at the press conference. And here's a lad who hadn't played in a year, a 20-minute run-out and a 40-minute run-out under his belt. And I thought he led the side superbly. His presence throughout the game was enormous. The way little things, like the way he was just squeezing Simon Zebo by the neck yeah. when Zebo was crying during the minute silence. The way he turned to Zebo just before kick-off and told him to focus. The way he took Earl's decision without any moaning or complaining and stayed in Jerome Garcia's ear after that, but in a very kind of respectful but yet authoritative way. I thought, I thought, I thought, he was moaning a little bit at the ref, though. Well, I think yeah. he was trying to claim that the, mm. that the opponents but had... But he got on with business. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Straight away. And they yeah, stayed yeah. in the... Fo- they retained their focus. And every time he, he had a decision to make about whether to go up the line or go for another scrum, he called it correctly. It was just... You know, they had their foot on Glasgow by, by the neck and they just kept it there. And it meant that they were using, playing to their strengths and they were making light of their numerical disadvantage out wide by keeping their focus on their pack and their dominant scrum and their dominant mall. And they got scores out of it. Um, and it used up time down the Glasgow 22. And I mean, remarkably, in the 30 minutes after Keith Earls was sent off, I think they got 17 unanswered points. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. L- Liam, As, yeah, sorry, Simon. Liam, yeah. one of the... Most illustrative things of how focused and how on it uh, Munster were was the foreign players like Blaindal and Stander and Tote, just how well they played from the opening seconds. Yeah, it was. I was speaking to Dan McFarland, the assistant coach for, for Glasgow, after the game about that particular idea, uh, Simon. You know, the challenge that Glasgow had. Mm. They were on, look, you have to you have to just say that this is one of the greatest, greatest sporting moments in Irish sporting history. 
and Glasgow were part of it. And you have to feel a little bit for them um, coming into the game because I, I was talking to Dan at the funeral in Killaloo the day beforehand and you're talking uh, that the impact it had on them. You, they knew, we knew that the emotion was going to be running very, very high. And I was thinking at the time, if you could just, if, is there some scientific button that can actually measure the amount of adrenaline just coursing through the veins of the monster players? But beyond that, those guys who came in, they, they just didn't bring emotion. They brought quality of rugby as well. And it was enthralling to watch how the entire club just reacted and and to see the the South African out in midfield doing so well and his compatriot CJ Stander etc etc they managed the emotion of it extraordinary it just goes to show you the culture that's in and I'm just thinking is is this unique to rugby or is it unique to Munster or was just the whole occasion so overwhelming but it was it was really really brilliant to watch everybody buy into what Munster have been doing and do so with the old school stuff, like I, I mentioned the scrum, but the some of the offloads, some of the creative running, Blenendell's kicking from the touchline, all of that was just wonderful. Yeah. But there was brain, there was brawn, there was emotion, there was everything in it. Exactly, because we wouldn't have been surprised if aggression levels were up. But for the focus and the skill levels to go up, that was really the mark of the focus. And, and yeah. made you wonder why it can't happen on other days. Well, I suppose, Simon, it's a huge burden. Like, they carried a massive burden into that fixture. And... Um, Nevin Spence, I suppose, did something very similar up in Ulster. And it really is, I think Jerry touching it there, that high-end elite sport, you've got to get your mind right, but it, you, you can't have a, a frenzy. You can't come up to that level every Saturday. So in terms of what Munster did, they managed the emotion really, really impressively. Uh, the touchline, the bench was used, etc. But we can't expect Munster to reach that level of emotion. It's way too much of a burden for any team or any individual player. Mm. So the question is, how can they, I suppose, allow the burden of, of this weekend to slip on and, and to get their performance levels up as high as they, they did without having to dig into this emotional? Because you can't. The season's too long. There's too many. Like, if you think of these guys, a lot of these guys are going to turn around. And one of these guys, actually, John Ryan, the tight head, turn around. There's a big game in Chicago. That's another emotional day. So... It, Elite sport uh, is very much about managing the emotions um, and and exercising the coolness of how you need to execute the plan. And I think a lot of the players afterwards were focusing on that. They were saying, listen, uh, we, we were aware of the emotions, but we were also aware of Anthony Foley wanting us to focus on the process, which they did. And that was really, really impressive. So I think it could be a springboard, but not just for the players. Like I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking on the website there and I see... Um, the attendance, 25,600, which is miles ahead of any other. Like if you think that Sail Sharks uh, and Toulon was 9,400. So for the crowd to fill it, I think a lot of the ex-players, because we, we spent three days together, a lot of the ex-players were, were talking about, wasn't it wonderful to see the stadium full again? And some of the old legends were saying, Do you know what, I don't know if I've been here often enough, maybe it's time to come back. So there's a lot of things that could be the catalyst uh, that could propel the team on. But what was most impressive I think we've all said it uh, thus far, was that the quality of the play matched the emotion as well. And uh, that was very, very impressive. It's a very interesting point. Sorry, Jerry, you wanted to yeah. come in on that before we no, touch on the fans. Just, yeah, the last time they had a full house for European Cup game was two seasons ago against yeah. Claremont. So they didn't have one last season. And I think, awfully sad though it is, and poignant though it is, Anthony Foley's passing has served to reignite, or reunite Munster fans and team alike. And when they are like that, as even Nick Easter said on the Sky Sports European Champions Cup wrap-up last night, they are the best supporters in Europe. 
And I don't think they can scale those emotional heights and that kind of capacity house for every Pro 12 game at home. But I think with Leicester coming in December and Racing coming in January, there's every reason that they will replicate those full house and that sense of occasion for the remaining home games in Europe as well. And that's as much as they've ever really done. I think that is the beginning of Anthony Foley's legacy. I think this will have served as a major turning point in the organisation. Yeah, Mick Galway actually mentioned that on Sky that he hoped that was the case. Mm. As, as Liam alludes to there, he, he said that himself and other players were thinking, look, we're all guilty of this, not just ex-players, but fans n- not turning up as often as we possibly should. Mm-hmm. And that hopefully this does serve in that way. Do you think reality will get the better of that, though? Only a couple of weeks ago, we had Donald Lennon in the studio t- when he had his book out. Um, this is this is pre-Anthony Foley passing away. And he was making the point, look, for Cork people in particular, it's a long way to go. It very much feels like a Limerick thing now with the centre being there and all the rest of it. Ten-year tickets are up next year. And at the time, Donald was pr- you know pretty dubious as to how many people, particularly from Cork, would be taking up those ten-year tickets again. Uh, I suppose we're trying to project into the future here, but do you think there might be, at the moment, it feels like the start of something new, but it's, it's realities might intervene? I think it's the start of something you new. Do, yeah. Yeah. I do, actually, for that reason. I, like I said, I don't think they're going to fill it out for Pro 12 games other than when Leinster come calling. Um, but I do think that Thoman Park will now be full for Leicester in December and for Rasson in January, and that's enough to keep it going. And if they produce that level of performance or anything like it, then that will be the springboard for something special again. I, okay, yes, Last Saturday was very raw in lots and lots of ways. It was almost too soon coming the day after the funeral, but they were right to go ahead and yeah. play the game. Absolutely, as I argued here last week, mm. because it was the last time they were all going to be together again before they, some of them went into camp with Ireland this week uh, in Carton House. And I think that, you know, it, it, was, it was right to press all the notes they pressed. It was right to remind everybody how important Munster rugby is to the province. Um, you know, driving back and forth between Killaloo and uh, Limerick um, on both Thursday and Friday, and almost every single front garden had monster flags, often looking like new flags. Um, just stand, stilly, not, there was no wind the two days, <laughs> and it was like almost the province was bleeding on behalf of its lost icon. And I don't think that they're going to forget this. I don't think it would be a more fitting tribute to Anthony Foley's memory if they go on coming out in force and making this occasion become more, more regular again, like particularly just for the European Cup home matches. And I think that will happen. Well, Liam, one of the reasons it might keep on happening is they now have better players. If you see their starting 15, particularly with Blaindale finally hitting form and free of injury, it's a completely different team, assuming things connect the way they did at the weekend. Yeah, and like... Like as an out half, what he did, his performance was extraordinary. Like if for those who weren't in the ground, I don't know. Did the did the, did the pictures, did the cameras, did the TV pick up the the sheer emotion? You could actually touch it. And for a guy to be so cool, calm, and collected to exercise the process as he did, to take the ball on and take it onto the line and and cut the angles and guys running off him, and then to the, his conversions from the touchline, like you know, it's. As I said, it's stuff of the gods. A wonderful, wonderful performance. You're, it, it is an exciting time. And I do think if we press pause and just got really analytical for a moment, uh, Glasgow at times played well. But I think that they should be rightly very disappointed in their overall performance and how they physically stepped up and that sort of stuff. I think that um, with Leicester coming, you could have had a better team coming to Thoma Park to, to keep the momentum of the emotion and, and, the, and the journey. Because Munster and Leicester are so interlinked in, in the last 20 years of, of the European Cup. Um, but I think that Leicester will actually front up. So it's going to be very, very challenging. So how um, Munster uh, dominated Glasgow in the scrum, 
these things are not natural. They don't happen. Even the French scrums don't tend. I mean, watching the Leinster game the weekend Sunday, they don't tend to them. So I think we have to we have to manage yesterday's in its uniqueness, uh, and we have to take an awful lot of positives. Uh, the halfback partnership, and for the first time, maybe Conor Murray didn't have this enormous burden on his shoulders that he he had he had a teammate who he could share the burden with as well. Um, but there were so many, many uh, positives. It was it was hugely important to, to acknowledge that. But at the same time, Glasgow, I don't think, brought as much. And I can understand why. I don't think they brought as much as they would be happy with. Jerry, let's talk Leinster. Okay. When the Dolo scored his, wasn't his second try of the game, the intercept try from, mm-hmm. from Jamie Heaslip, touches down the corner. I think they were 22-6 ahead at that stage, 16 yep. points up. Mm-hmm. Leinster had Rob Carney in the bin at that stage. Was it a bit of a miracle to come out of it with a bonus point? Particularly the way they were playing. Mm. It was just so error-prone. They were just making so many basic skills mistakes and missed tackles. It was, um, they kept undermining themselves. And they'll, I wouldn't imagine the Monday morning review would have been very anyway enjoyable at all. When you think of even Jamie Heaslip, who's probably their best player, makes that rarity mistake. He makes about one a season. Um, and yeah, for them to come back, they got great impact off the bench. I thought Jamison Gibson Park, Dan Levy were immense the way they came on, and Joey Carby did really well in that last 20 minutes too. They got on the front foot and they were patient. That decision to go for the posts at 22-6 looked curious. Now it looks genius. Mm. And um, fantastic try. Naseba, you know, they just, he can score tries from anywhere now. Scrum half, Wayne, he's just such an important player for them. And he can do the goal kicking and he narrowed the angle. And it really felt like not alone had they avoided a bonus point defeat like Montpellier claiming a bonus point they then struck one themselves the difference is they're now on top of that group instead of being back in third place the one points I mean it's you saw Paul Marshall's tap and go away to Bordeaux Begla when the penalty would have got them a bonus point so many of these pools come down in the end to just a point here or there and um, it, it felt significant it felt very significant it seems to me Montpellier seemed quite pleased with themselves even though they had allowed Leicester, Leinster to score a bonus point. They'd failed to score a bonus point Should themselves. Should have been 5 nil instead of 4 yeah. 1 in the game points, where match they, points. Yeah, they just, but I, mean, I suppose they did tire pretty, pretty badly. Leinster certainly looked like they, they had the edge and fitness towards the end. The one person you didn't mention there was Gary Ringrose, Jerry. I was yeah, hoping we were going to jump further on that bandwagon today. Yeah, uh, Ringrose he, re- that, he really rose yeah. to the John that last 20 minutes. He was their go to man. He got them on the front foot. Um, his. You know, when they when Montpellier tired a bit, there was a bit more space. He yeah. really came into it. Leinster's fitness levels are very impressive this season. They've looked really impressive all season long. Um, and Ringrose, yeah, that was a major mark. For, it would be amazing now if he doesn't come into the picture. If not for the All Blacks game in Chicago, then certainly for the Canadian game. He looks he looks physically much bigger, more developed. I think they were right not to push him into the Irish team last season. I really do. But I think this season he's definitely knocking the door and he's going to make his test debut. This probably this window. Do our eyes deceive us, Liam? Is he, is he as good as we think he is? Uh, he's. I, I think Leinster have improved immeasurably in the last number one since the close season. They've their shape of their game is has improved. Their ambition around, particularly from deep, they're much more ambitious from deep, from from inside their own twenty-two and that sort of stuff. As they go up the pitch, they become narrower and narrower and narrower into a more physical uh, one-out type of team. But in the middle of all that. Uh, Gary Ringrose even off broken crappy mucky ball he has the look of the great Brian O'Driscoll about him who's just happy to have a go against teams like Montpellier in the conditions they had I real mixed emotions about the result because it's a phenomenal achievement to get that bonus point having been where they were and the potential of what could have happened to them so they deserve huge credit but like Jerry is saying um They'll be very disappointed with a lot of the a lot of the quality of what they allow to slip. That aside, I think like Toulouse, Montpellier 
have really one or two bows in their arrow or arrows in their bow and they 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 should have really cranked on and, and done much more than didn't and but you've got to give a massive credit to Leinster for saying hang on a second here we're playing we're not playing as clearly as as accurately as we should be but yet we've a great chance to to come back and they did so it was brilliant and right at the heart of that was Gary Ring's rose because you can see oftentimes when you see him making a break watch the players who are supporting him because they're believing that this guy can make the break and get through a gap and create something. If you see the support runners, like you see back row players, instinctively will see him and they'll go, wow, this guy can get through. And if you watch them, you'll be able to see how they understand his their teammate has the ability, which is always a good indicator, but a fine, fine performance. That's an interesting point, because it, and it also means that they know that he'll make the right decision, Jerry. And this is... It's all well and good for a young player, a young player to come along and have a cut and try something different and be fearless and all these sorts of things. But it seems like he's got the knack of doing it at the right time as well. And this is the kind of thing that Schmidt will love, I assume. You know, maybe he just wasn't big enough last year or whatever the case may be. But it seems like not only does he do spectacular things, he doesn't actually make mistakes too, too much anymore yeah. either. And he influences games. You know what I mean? He comes up with big plays at the right time. He's not playing for himself. No, essentially. not like, at all. Which yeah. is a temptation when you're which, trying to... Which means he's got genuine X factor, which helps the team. And not just not just for himself. But so he's, he, he's shaping up to be a potential match winner in big games. And I think the influence of a new young player coming through the system is twice the impact of signing a good overseas player. It just regenerates from within all the time. And you look back at all the Munster and Leinster successes and it generally came on the back of one or two new players coming into the system from within. And I've got Joey Carberry adding an X factor as well. So I think that's very important as well as the overseas signings that they've got that. Um, look, that was on paper probably their toughest group, their toughest match of the six. And they've got a bonus point out of it that didn't look likely. So they, it did feel very much like a, they were in bonus territory. The only caveat to that is I think that's now six European games in a row um, away from home that they failed to win and like if, if you look at the rest of that pool one away win might suffice but they're going to have to win away to Castor or Northampton to get at least one of those two games to qualify Liam how would you go about tackling a man like Nadolo? low <laughs> high not at all shift it onto I, your winger I would say oh, the advice I'd give you is jump on his back and steer him with his ears because that's the only chance <laughs> that's you what have. Robbie Henshaw did that's actually. exactly what Henshaw <laughs> did <Yeah. laughs> it's incredible Play, players like chance. that used to be uh, uh, what was the name of that player uh, Rapeni Nabuka. never pronounced it at the time I remember he seemed to you know he was big he wasn't strong, as tall. Mad, fast, but not as tall, but also not as bothered a lot of the time, I thought. Yeah. Like, you know, he kind of could, maybe I didn't see enough from play, but there were, there were times I felt he, he, you know, he could take it or leave it and he'd have a go sometimes. The equivalent of him now is this guy who defends, like he keeps Dan Levy up off the line with one tackle. He, he can, makes offloads, he makes, makes intercepts, offloads, he like he's up. got a football brain. Yeah, he's he, more than just big raw power and strength. He works hard at it. That's kind of the, that's the bar that's being set for, these, for, for a, a winger these days. Yeah, I'd love to know how many sliced pans he eats a day because he is just massive. Like, uh, he just knocked guys out. Like, Jonah Lomo, I don't think, was anything like as big as this guy. Yeah. And, and you got to give huge credit how, it, in, in, an ir- in, in an irony, a little like South Africa in the 95 World Cup, it gelled the South African team, the threat of uh, Jonah Lomo. And you saw a bit of that in the Leinster ranks um, yesterday. And we, we reflected there on Robbie Henshaw like Robbie Henshaw was the second Leinster man in to make the tackle, but you could see how they hunted. And, and that tells me something about the team ethic. It tells me something about the culture. It tells me something about how they want to work for each other. And that's why when when I know Leinster would probably be angry at a lot of the knock-ons and all that sort of stuff, but the culture, what they've done and the display yesterday was very, very impressive. Um, and in many ways, similar to what Munster did uh, on Saturday, but 
a lot of the time when you got a, such a threat like that, you see the value of your own teammates, how they all hunted. And I think Robbie Henshaw proved it. He was he just wasn't accepting this gigantic man was going to just knock everybody over. And so there's, there's a lot of those team cultural things that we saw from Leinster, which are very, very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, we're just about done. Connacht obviously had a, a bit of a cakewalk themselves. Ulster, not so much. Jerry, an exchange of drop goals at the end and they survived it just about. Yeah, Connacht, top of the pool. You would have settled for that after two rounds. Although looking at it, they're still probably going to have to beat Wasps at home or to lose away to qualify. So the odds are still stacked high against them. But they're in there with a great chance. And to win their fourth game in a row compared to when they last visited Zebra when they were saved by the Bell 22-10 down shows how much they progressed in the last month and now they've got strength and depth in terms of their cutting edge with Keen Keller coming on board and Stacey Lee coming in they went in that game without Matt Healy and without Tiernan O'Halloran without Bundyaki and they still scored eight tries away from home that shows you how far they've come in the last month and what they're like now as a machine as for Ulster they're not firing they lack ball carrying up front. Henderson was lost the second half. When weather gets bad, they don't seem as equipped as they would have been in the past and had Nick Williams there. They were slightly lucky to survive that one. Fair play to Paddy Jackson, but really it shows you the value of Charles Piotr because they would be now dead and buried in this European pool if it hadn't been for him. His performance was just astonishing. He's, he's as good a go-to player now as there is in the world game, nearly. OK, well, listen, Jerry Liam, it's been uh, crazy and a, a tough week. Uh, in Munster Rugby Irish will be the last week or so so thanks very much for your contributions and for chatting today so he's almost like having a second captain in the team second captain first captain whatever Richie Sadler's here Richie how are you how are you lads how are you lads Richie how are you lads how are you doing this week I'm marvellous look at the joy on my face look how happy I was what the fuck happened (laughs) no really you know what happened when John was young everyone in the city Knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. I think you're a ring rose for Arden Man, Simon. Yeah, there was such a kerfuffle for him when he first came through for Leinster. Brian O'Driscoll was tweeting about him. I know he contacted Joe Schmidt. People were getting excited about him. There was references to O'Driscoll, you know, the same sort of skill level, the same excitement as a young player. And I think I almost overreacted to that and wanted to be prove it, it to be proven to me more than just a regular player how good he was. He's he's nearly their best back in every game. He plays well every game. He makes very few errors. He's electric over those first few yards. And he ha- like people are saying he needs to bulk up a bit, which maybe he needed to, but not anymore. Maybe last year he needed to bulk up a little bit more. But he's got that wiry strength. And I think players of that age, they have a different mentality. I mean, early O'Driscoll, so we're not comparing to him being as good as O'Driscoll, but say early O'Driscoll, he just had a different mentality to later O'Driscoll. And you need one or two players in a really good team. If you want to be really good, you need one or two players that just see gaps all the time, that just don't fear their own health. They're, just, they're not thinking long-term. They're, they're, just, they're playing it far more off the cuff and far more naturally than players as they start to self-assess their own career. Yeah, and it makes um, a degree of sense now as well with Henshaw playing beside him as well, that it, you know, and, and sexing the other side. You know, the, the three of them playing basically as a, as a unit it it makes just a lot more sense now than maybe it did even 12 months ago yeah, to start him in at least two of, of the November internationals. Yeah, people are saying Canada is a more natural fit. I would say New Zealand is a more natural fit for him to start. Why? Well, he's shown mental strength at every stage and we need really fast people against New Zealand. You see New Zealand at the weekend again. So many of their tries come from just pure pace and Ringrose 
those first two or three steps, he, he might be Ireland's fastest player just over those kind of five, ten yards that are vital. Congratulations to Potter Carrington winning his first European Tour title in, since 2008 in spectacular circumstances, Murph. It looked as though for a second there he was going to hand a playoff to Andy Sullivan. Yeah. You know, it certainly appeared to, appeared to be thinking that way until he rescued it. Yeah, the, uh, the second, his second on the 18th ended up hitting the grandstand and... You know, it's it's weird. It's a weird uh, scene when golfers are. You know, they've one golfer has finished his round and he's you know sitting in a clubhouse waiting for a playoff. I've I've read a couple of people saying that oh, there's Andy Sullivan smiling at Porter Carrington's <laughs> second shot. I mean, that's the image that was in my head. I have to say, you you thought he was like no, he was smiling, but I think wildly more, celebrating the fact that Porter Carrington hit no, a bad I th- shot. No, I think he was trying to keep as relaxed as he could, yeah. <laughs> and he was slightly awkward because he's not a reality TV star. Yeah, and normally when cameras are focused on him, he is going through his processes of you know trying to slam a four iron yeah. onto the green. Whereas this time he's sitting there trying not to look nervous or excited or yeah, whatever. and it's not like this is secret behind the scenes footage of Andy Sullivan watching the golf. Andy Sullivan is watching the camera on Andy Sullivan for like ter- 20 seconds. So, I mean, you know, it's just a nervous laughter. But fair play to Harrington for yeah, putting it off. Bus. I mean, this is, he, this is his bread and butter over the years, you know. To help, he got his first open. He, he had to scramble. He had to scramble again. I think he sort of likes scrambling. Mm. I don't well, know. he was tweeting out uh, yeah. barely believable stats of how good he was uh, with up and downs. Uh, 51 shots from 26 up and down situations, yeah. uh, you know, which is, uh, well, Pork d- it did us the favour of also telling us what the average is and how good then is. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good, Pork. Oh, that is, that is much yeah. better than average. So well done. But no, he was, at, it, it is, it's absolutely brilliant. And I, I, like uh, we recall that tournament he won on the PGA Tour. Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the Anyway, the one that finished on a Monday and literally the entire country was, had somehow bunked off uh, work to watch Padraig Carrington winning a golf tournament. Uh, there is nothing like it for whatever reason, but when Padraig Carrington is uh, in contention at a golf tournament, Irish people get behind him in a major, major way. Just give us one more open, Padraig. This year will do just fine. Mm. No, this year is over. What am I talking about? Next We're year. in October. Yeah, uh, next year will do just fine. That's almost it. We were talking about the artwork on Kieran Donnelly's book earlier on. It would be remiss of me not to mention the great work that's been done on the second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2 in that regard by Dan Layden and by Colm McCoch-Leuk, who both have done stories. You might have seen Dan's cover on secondcaptains.com already. There's a bit of a sneak preview in there, I think, of some of Colm's stuff. Uh, I know you quite liked his illustrations of Ken's adventures on the train in France, Mark. Curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of... Is uh, captured for posterity. Yeah. There's a limited print run, so I should mention that. Get on board as soon as you can. No harm. No time like the present, Murph, to trot out the most banal cliche can, I possibly could in terms of trying to sell this book. You can pre-order, <laughs> you can pre-order now and pre-order all of your Christmas gift That's dreams it. have been fulfilled. Secondcaptains.com if you want any more details on that, if you want to pre-order. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, thank Kenneth. You, Owen, Thanks thank you for you. listening. We'll talk to you soon. We are here now working on a record called The Gang's All Here. Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? Uh, we'll let give us a Come on, let's give them a preview. Hi. We, we'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. Right, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll try now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're going to swing as one. How you like that? <laughs> I'll see you guys later. All right, Sam. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Cass. You're welcome. All right. <laughs>
lost my words really. I'm, I'm over the moon. Emotional. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. That's the color of my room where I will live. Killian shoots. Oh, he's hooked it away to the left and wide. It's just not meant to be for Mayo. Nothing to read, nothing to say. I understand how difficult it is, Keith. They're known for being cheats. They'll always be cheats. How much of boxing stinks from the core right there on top. I will sit right down. Waiting for the gift of sound. 20 years we've been waiting for this, and, and at last we've got that Olympic medal. I will see. Waiting for the gift of sound and vision. Patrick Hickey, the president of Ireland's Olympic Drifting Committee, has been arrested. They're all pumped. They're all just head force. my head. Don't you wonder sometimes about sound and vision? There is the whistle. It's one of those nights. It's Stuttgart. It's New Jersey. They're all rolled into one. Another big, big scalp when it was needed most. Leon, here we go. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.